Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 41, and we're reviewing Tokyo Revengers Part 1. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. This show, man, it's like... This toe man? This toe man. <laughs> this is really <laughs> fucking good. Like, a really good show. One of the ones that had a lot of hype around it when... Um, what season are we on? Spring. When a lot of the, the spring anime um, teasers were going out. And I was like, I don't know what's going on, but everyone's freaking out about it. And I'm interested. I'm going to watch. And I'm very glad I did. Yeah, I think I mentioned in our spring 2021 first impressions that I walked into this show blindly. I know you had told me a brief summary of it. But I, again, I just when I watched the first episode, I was just blown away by the premise and I've just been hooked like you have um, for the rest of the ride. And it seems like this franchise has been blowing up a lot recently, just besides the anime itself. I know there was a trailer for a live-action film that is soon to be released. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. And there were a lot of pictures comparing like, the characters as they appear on the anime to their live-action counterparts, and a lot of them are pretty spot-on, I guess, appearance-wise. I don't know about acting-wise if if they're of the same caliber. Um, I know that Draken's actor looks a lot like the the drawn character which is kind of freaky yeah i have to agree like i am i have zero interest in live action adaptations of anime i've just the ones i've seen have never been good i don't know if i just watched the wrong ones but zero interest um however i did see those pictures as well and and i was pretty impressed with um with how spot on the characters looked like you said with their um their animated versions mm -hmm. so you think about other live actions and you're like this looks nothing like the characters. I think the only funny part is they cast like like actual grown men in yeah. roles that are supposed to be played by middle schoolers. And that's also one of the gripes I have about Tokyo Revengers. It's like I I get that with shows like this you have to suspend your disbelief to a certain degree, but it's so hard for them to constantly tell me that these are middle schoolers and me to try and like believe that. Yeah. And I think this was the issue I had with Code Geass, which we recently discussed, is that we fall into the the student trope in the anime where we're expected to believe these these are middle schoolers and like high schoolers apparently, and they're supposed to be capable of running this respectable street gang. It's like that just kind of knocks down the believability for me. But other than that, again, this the story and premise is is still very interesting and very captivating well to that point i actually find code geass's high school characters to be more believable as high school characters than what we're seeing here in tokyo avengers and a lot of that has to do with the character design because you've got lelouch main character of code geass and um he's in high school and he looks like it like he looks like he's in high school he looks like he's drawn somewhat youthful here in tokyo avengers you've got guys who look like actual men uh and like they're smoking and they're like stabbing people and like they sound so old like their voice actors sound like actual dudes mm -hmm. like they're not even trying to sound youthful like takemichi is probably the only one who sounds youthful out of all of the middle schoolers yeah i would say him and mikey are the ones who most still look like they're in school but everyone else looks like like a fully grown grown-ass adult yeah and i think it's intentional or overly intentional for their characters because takemichi is like 
a big wuss the entire time. So it makes sense, like make him like extra young looking. And Mikey, I think he's in, he's supposed to be an impressive character because he's so young, um, yet still the leader of Tomon. Like that's why they they kind of chose that character design is is my guess anyway. But damn, dude, like you cannot tell me over and over again in this show that these are fucking middle schoolers when they literally look like fucking 40 year old men. <laughs> yeah. I think besides all of that, though, it it's an interesting premise for I don't even know if you could classify this as an isekai, maybe like a quasi isekai. Or... I know. I thought it was going to be an isekai based off of the first episode, but yeah, yeah I, don't know I guess now. it's more. I don't know if there's a, a genre of anime attributed to time traveling, but um, yeah, that was my impression, because obviously in the beginning, Takamichi gets hit by a train, which is like a running trope in any any isekai. But I think it, it's also interesting that it, the story is sort of like those interactive video games, um, like Heavy Rain, which I know was like a popular uh, pioneer for that genre, or any of the, the Telltale games where, again, it's Takamichi going back in time to save someone that he loves in the future. But I think... Wait, like Telltale games as in like Mortal Compass choice games? Yes. Oh, okay. Because I was like, they don't really time travel in a lot of No, no, that's not, not time travel. <laughs> but like you, the the actions or choices you make will influence like the different endings, right? Yeah. And that's the same case here. But along those lines, I think what makes the time travel kind of convoluted is like the character's understanding of time and these packed actions influencing like future events. I think one thing that we discussed is like, how can Naoto, who's the police detective, um, kind of recall what's changed in the future once Takemichi returns every time? Yeah, that. And on the flip side, how come, as we saw in the last episode or second to last episode, how can Takemichi influence the past, yet he has no recollection of what's transpired over the last 12 years based on what he changed, right? Like mm -hmm. he, um, in the last episode, and we'll talk about this more obviously when we get there, but in the last episode, he recalls his previous experience, his previous, um, I guess, version of his past, where Hina is the one that broke up with him. But then we find out that in this new version of the past, she actually got dumped by Takemichi, but he has no recollection of it. Or how he gets snapped back into the future, and he's now at the convenience store. And he's like, how the hell did I get here? Why don't I have Naoto's number? It's like, how do you not remember that you don't have Naoto's number? Like, how do you not remember that you haven't actually met him yet? I guess in this uh, this new version of of the future. But that's uh, there's like a disconnect because again, like Naoto seems omniscient of all of these things, while Takemichi's character is left in the dark. So I don't yeah. know if there's an intent behind that, or if the series is going to explore that in the um, second half, uh, because we've reviewed the first twelve episodes of this series. But that's one lingering plot thread that is yet to be resolved, I guess. Yeah, sorry, one more one more example too from that that last episode or second to last episode. Like with Akun, how he opens his salon and Takemichi's like, "Oh my god, you opened your salon." And then he's like, "Yeah, dude, you knew this already." Or like kind of had mm. that type of reaction. And I'm like, "How do you not know this, Takemichi? Like how is this not just immediately in your brain? You technically lived it." Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk more about that when we get there cuz <laughs> that's something that I'm confused by and I hope it gets cleared up by the end of the show. Mm -hmm. And one more thing that I since we're talking about like some of the highlights of the show, one thing that I do like is it's very similar to Demon Slayer, where it's kind of sympathizing with and humanizing these characters that you would consider antagonistic um, in terms of like the the gang members uh, or the members of the Tokyo Manji 
um, specifically like in the beginning, we, we get more acquainted with uh, Draken and Mikey. And it's almost comparable to mob films like The Godfather or Goodfellas, where you think like they're glorifying this these vile criminal organizations, but um, those films kind of make the gang members seem more endearing and noble because they still possess like traits that we would respect in human society. Um, it's just that they've applied those traits to a part of society that's normally frowned upon. But let's go ahead and jump into our synopsis for the first half of Tokyo Revengers. Tokyo Revengers is the 2021 adaptation of a manga series written and illustrated by Ken Wakui, reproduced by Leiden Films and directed by Koichi Hatsumi. The series focuses on self-deprecating low-life loser Takemichi Hanagaki, who through a unique time travel ability takes the opportunity to save the love of his life from her future death at the hands of a sinister Tokyo street gang. In episode 1, Reborn, Takemichi Hanagaki is your typical self-loathing Japanese shonen protagonist with a shit job and shittier adult life who finds out through the news that his former high school sweetheart, Hinata Tachibana, was killed in an accident caused by a civil war within the Tokyo Manji gang. He goes about his day despite the sober news, but that's all about to change when he's pushed in front of a subway train and is transported back to his high school life 12 years ago. After getting reacquainted with his rebellious past, Takemichi makes a pact in both timelines with Hina's younger brother, Naoto, to right his past wrongs and save Hina be from being a splattered car hood ornament. So as always, let's discuss the OP and ED for this series. I know Wait, I doesn't the OP and the ED actually pop in on episode two, though? Yeah, but <laughs> let's, just <laughs> get, let's just get it out of the way now. So OP... We have the song Cry Baby, which is by the band Official Hige Dandism. And again, I don't know where these Japanese bands come up with these really far out there names. but <laughs> It's edgy. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember we were watching the music video for this and the, the main singer is like he's just jamming out. And he's playing the piano and he's like jamming out. I was like, there's no way that man can know what keys he's hitting. He's like well, whipping his hair yeah. violently back and forth too. I'm like, man, your brain must hurt. Mm -hmm. But I know you've all you've commented on this, and we've mentioned this in the first impressions or the spring first impressions episode. Is that he sounds like a Japanese Bruno Mars? He does. Like he has a very similar sound to him. And honestly, like I really enjoy his voice. Like he he just has like a really pleasant voice to listen to. Um, and this OP, I mean, it just it fucking slaps. It, I love it. I love everything about it. Even just from like the opening screen of just like the Tokyo Avengers um, logo, I guess mm -hmm. you can call it. And it just like moves upward or on like the screen. Yeah, it pans the... up the screen. And then you kind of get like the city coming up from the bottom of the screen. And just like all the shots of like Takemichi walking down the street. And then like Naoto pops in from behind him. Um, it just like the whole thing is very well done. It's very stylized. It still feels like somewhat of a typical shonen opening, but just like different at the same time. I don't know. Like the color scheme is really cool too. Everything's red and black with a pop of white. And yeah, like it all just came together. And I'm really hoping, fingers crossed, that for the second core, they keep the opening. It's likely they won't, but it'd be awesome if they did. Well, I was going to comment on that because um, in terms of the visuals, there are portions of the the scenes that flash by where it shows characters um, that have yet to be revealed in the show or like a lot of them are 
are wearing the Tokyo Manji jackets and we've only just seen these characters don those. Yeah. So, so that's like the glimmer of hope that maybe this will be used in the the entire across the entire show cuz mm-hmm. my understanding is like there's there's not been an official announcement on how many episodes the show will have but it sounds like from some of the manga readers the based on the the progression of the story this may just be a 24 to 26 episode show like a contained show in one season um so we'll see but yeah if that's the case please keep this opening because it's awesome because it, i think the manga is still ongoing isn't it oops well i don't know maybe they'll finish <laughs> it that's actually happened a couple of times with a few shows i won't mm. i won't call out which show, shows for for spoiler reasons but a couple of shows this um spring season have surpassed or, or gone beyond the manga and they just kind of wrapped up the story on their own so that even though the manga is still ongoing they wrapped up the story in the anime um so maybe that's how it'll go with this i don't know mm. we'll see no It'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, just to comment more audio-wise on the OP, I think I mentioned this in our First Impressions episode too. I just like how the song, it's, it's not like a, a very typical anime opening where it's either, I feel like it's either like a alternative or heavy rock theme um, or it's like your typical bubblegum pop stuff. Like yeah. this is more of like a funky jazzy feeling which i think fits with this sleuthing or detective-like aspect of the show with you know naoto and takamichi like trying to figure out how to prevent hina's death so i would say like this is probably one of the better ops to emerge um, this season or even this year and moving on to the next musical visual cue for the show which is the ed the translated title for the song is take a breath here by it's E-I-L-L. I don't even know how you pronounce that. I-L, E-L, however it is. Um, this one, too, it has a unique sound again, within that theme of being like jazzy, funky, especially with the, the piano that's prevalent. Um, I think visuals-wise, it's, it's, it's nice. It's a lot of like muted colors, but still lit up in its own certain way. But I think it just kind of spoils Hina's eventual survival in the present timeline because it's it's heavily focused on her and then we see glimpses of i think the the four lo- or four leaf clover necklace that takemichi eventually gives to her well wait how does it how does it spoil her survival uh i guess it maybe it doesn't i think it just yeah. spoiled like first of all her character design for her future self mm-hmm. um and that she kept the four leaf clover necklace like i i, I mean we all kind of called it even before the for episode 11, where Takemichi actually gives her the necklace. Or maybe it was 10, I'm not sure. Um, because she's like, they focus in on it, right? And like she kisses it or whatever. And, and and then I think it shows a shot of Takemichi holding it in his hand in his past version. So it's like, okay, obviously, like that's probably a gift that he gave to her, which is the, the situation. And then I think it also spoils the fact that like, so like I get what you're saying, like her survival in the sense of like episode 11 and 12, that like she's still technically alive. Mm -hmm. um but i don't think it spoils like the ultimate ending for her like is she ultimately going to survive yeah because obviously she was still alive um in the present up until when she got run over or whatever yeah um but yeah i guess seeing it firsthand like with this first episode it 
kind of just throws you off for a bit. It does. I was I was surprised by that because like we don't see her until episode eleven. No, episode twelve. Like yeah, we in don't her see present her. form. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like they even in episode twelve they try to like make it this suspenseful reveal oh yeah and i'm like bro we already know what she looks like we've seen it for like you know 11 12 episodes now unless that's for all the people who you know they just skip, skip the, the ed yeah. <laughs> well yeah i mean i think it's a really good ed it's definitely not as good as the op but song wise i think it fits really well with um with both the show and with the op i think they complement each other very very well mm-hmm. i love that they chose to focus on hina because i mean she is an important driving factor in the show and, and for takamichi um and just gives us a glimpse into like her side of things right like i think there's shots of like her with takimichi and then he kind of disappears like what does that all mean she reaches yeah. for like the sun i don't know what the fuck all that means but um we'll and get... the bridge shot yeah the yeah. bridge shot yeah that's right which we find out about in episode 12 um so i think overall it's it's a great ed i enjoy it um and i would also like to see this one be kind of extended through the second core of tokyo revengers mm-hmm so a couple of things I want to comment on with episode one. First off is character design. This is a bit unique, um, and mm. I'll admit it took me some getting used to um, for me to be able to like sit through it. I don't know. I, I Character design is important to me, but it's not like a be-all, end-all for a show. But something about the character design in this show is slightly off-putting to me, and I think it's mostly around their eyes. Their eyes yeah. and their lips, because their lips like they like are pointy and they like point up and downward when you see us like a side profile shot of the characters. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of weird because they from like the side profile shot, it looks like they're, they're like making kissy faces all the time, <laughs> and that's just me. Yeah. Like I, I don't know, maybe other people don't think that way, but I look at their lips and I'm like, man, those are pointy lips. I know for like they for com- like comedic purpose, they'll use like the Morty lips. Um. I think in episode twelve we we saw that like with Takamichi kind of putting yeah his, like the, the, <laughs> the anime the, trope number three yeah yeah like the 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 anime trope kissy lips but I'm talking like just regular profile yeah. shots mm-hmm. like even then they look kind of like they're making a little kissy face with their their pointy lips and it's mm-hmm. just kind of weird to me um, and then also like I know a lot of people have like lines drawn so first off a lot of his eyes are square which is odd to me like Takamichi mm-hmm. has like very square eyes. And then he's got like an extra line drawn under like the lower corners of his eyes that just make him look stressed and tired all the time, which I don't doubt he's like that because of what he's going through right now. But even like Hina has it too. And I'm like, is she always stressed and tired? Um, So I think like I'm I'm used to it now. It's fine. It doesn't bother me. But in the beginning, I was like, man, this is kind of kind of interesting to look at. I'm trying to look at um, panels or like pages from the manga to see if the show is just trying to emulate the same style um but yeah i for me it was just the eyes were the first thing that i noticed as being kind of um like outlandish compared to other like anime styles that we've seen um i don't know well i will say though because that that was my gripe about the character design but i have a ton of love for like the overall character designs for each of the characters like mm-hmm. draken looks fucking cool mikey looks so just like chill and badass right um takamichi's friends like akun and i can't remember the rest of their names yeah. they all look cool. like everyone is incredibly unique even some of the very minor characters are incredibly unique um i was i was thinking about the the fight between uh tokyo manji and 
fuck was the Mobius? Other one? Yeah, Mobius. Ma- or Mobius as they Mo- pronounce it. Yeah, Mobius when they're fighting in the parking lot when Draken gets stabbed. Like just all of those characters that pop on screen, half of them we were barely even introduced to, but they all look so distinct and so mm-hmm. cool. And I love that. Like they take um they take like the time and effort to make them look very gangster like, like gangster in the sense that like they're a biker gang, right? Yeah. But then also to make every character incredibly distinct because there's a lot of characters that we have to try and remember. I guess the way that I look at it is like the style of the animation style of the show and these characters is almost like um, Okoyasu from JoJo. Like a lot oh, of the characters yeah. kind of look like him in that. You know, they have the weird eyes and sometimes the weird facial features. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's not to, to say like the, the animation is poor. It's just it's just very unique. And I guess in terms of character design, I just like that, you know, Takemichi is the most pathetic looking of everybody um, in both his young adult form and his middle school uh, appearance. Um, especially with that, he has, here's another JoJo reference, that blonde Koichi-like hairdo. I actually like that they um, they use Takemichi's hair color to signal the era that he's in. Like, it's mm-hmm. not difficult to follow, right? Like, we know when we're back in the future. We know when we're in the past. But it's kind of nice to have that vi- that visual cue as well. Um, seeing Takemichi's hair blonde in the past and his normal natural black hair in the future. Because if you think about Akun um, in the latter half, after he's quote-unquote saved by Takemichi, he has the same hairstyle. He kept his hairstyle the same. Mm-hmm. So that could be, you know, that could be something where if that was the same for Takemichi, it could be slightly odd trying to distinguish his past self from his future self. But again, like, it's not that difficult, right? Like, they make it very clear when he's time traveling and what era he's in. It's just kind of nice that they added that little bit in there, too. And I think it's, like, a kind of a reminder for, like, all of us when we were younger, we always regret the stuff that we wore, or the hairdos <laughs> that we had. Because yeah, this is this hair for Takamichi is drastically different from his his present counterpart. Or like Hino with her short hair and then her long hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, onto the actual episode itself because I do want to comment on that. Um, I think that this first episode was great in setting up the entire plot of the show without it seeming too rushed or too overwhelming. Because other shows have tried to do that, and it is just like information overload. Um, we recently started Death Note and I would say Death Note's another anime that basically sets up the entire fucking plot for you mm-hmm. or like the premise of the show in the first episode, but does it very well. And it's like paced nicely. You get just the right, of, right amount of information to understand what's going on. And that's what we got in this episode one of Tokyo Avengers. Yeah, it's a very s- seamless transition. And it literally goes from present day um, back to the past. And I think briefly back to present day um, at the end of the episode. So, yeah, like you said, I, I might be a broken record, but like I said, it's everything's evenly paced and you're, you're able to understand everything from beginning to end. So it's a nice overall summary of what we're to expect in the show. And I know this was a point of contention, um, just my last comment on this first episode. Uh, you had thought that Naoto's voice actor was the one who did Jorno, but I did some research and it's actually Ryota Osaka who was the VA for Mao in Devil is a Part-Timer. Oh, he so, sounds very journal-like in, yeah. in his performance as Naoto. <laughs> mm-hmm. So just wanted to clear that up. I don't know any of the other voice actors, but I do know that later on my favorite VA does make a cameo. Oh, he does. He does. In episode two, Resist, 
Takemichi returns to the present where Naoto has joined the police force and tasks him with going back in time to prevent the Tomen gang's top two leaders, Sano and Kisaki, from ever meeting so that the current timeline of events do not transpire towards Hina's death. Once they shake on it, Takemichi relives his past days as a subordinate to Kiyomasa, a low-level gang member who runs a small-time fight club. Reaffirming his mission to save the wholesome Hina with a quick visit to her place, he decides to prevent a friend from getting their ass beat in a title fight by challenging Kiyomasa himself. Move over, David and Goliath. So we get um, some clarity later on who pushed Takemichi in front of the train. Obviously, that was a question I have in my notes for episode two because I didn't know any better at that time. But it did kind of make me think a little bit more about the whole concept of his time travel ability being triggered by what's an isekai trope of getting hit by a moving vehicle. <laughs> like I just mm-hmm. think... It doesn't make sense. Like unless they're gonna they're gonna revisit this concept later as to like we I think I understand why Akun pushed him in front of the train because similar to what we see in episode twelve of him trying to kill Takemichi again by hitting him with his car, it's because of the gang that he's a part of, right? Like he was instructed to do so. Mm-hmm. I get that part, but like why is the train the trigger for the time travel ability? I think what you're forgetting is. I think this is addressed in the next one or next episode or two episodes from now. It was Naoto who saved Takemichi from getting hit by the train. So Takemichi didn't get hit by the train. It was Naoto who grabbed him with the hand because the handshake is what signals um, Takemichi going from past to present or present to past. Oh, that must have gone right over my fucking head. Yeah. I do not remember that. At all. <laughs> Otherwise, like Takemichi would just have to be constantly hit by things. Well, that was my thing, right? Like why do why would we go from getting hit by a train to handshake with Naoto mm-hmm. as like the the trigger? However, now to that point, now knowing this bit of information, I think it would have made more sense for um for Takemichi to see the news that Hina got killed, right? Mm-hmm. He goes to her funeral. Now this is all like this is all in like an alternate way of doing it that I, I thought of an in my alternate head. alternate time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he goes to the funeral thinking like, oh shit, you know, it's really sad to hear. And then he meets Naoto at the funeral and says, Hey, my condolences, so sorry about it. And then they shake hands, right? And then that triggers something, which would be kind of weird because he would pass out in the middle of the funeral and then Naoto would have to like take him in. <laughs> but I think that is more believable than Naoto just happened to fucking be right there on the train tracks he happened to grab takemichi who happened to get pushed by akun who like needed to kill him because he was instructed to do so like that is slightly less believable to me than like i don't know takemichi you know meeting up with naoto to talk about hina hina's death or something like that well that's another question that was kind of lingering is it seems that naoto's it's almost like he is semi-aware of this ability because like, it's like he had a premonition that um, Takemichi was going to be at this specific point. Um, or unless, because, you know, he's at least, I don't know if in that initial timeline where Takemichi almost gets hit by the train, if Naoto's still a policeman. Because um, I know in the previous episode, uh, I think Takemichi was kind of convincing him to become a policeman. And then that's how... Oh, it changed his future. Yeah. So that he decided hearing that his mm-hmm. sister would be in trouble or whatever. I can't remember what he said to, to Naoto at the time, yeah. but yeah. So I don't know if, if Naoto just knew from like police intel that um, Akun was going to put a hit on Takamichi at that specific point, or if you know Naoto has insight into this time travel ability and had that premonition. So 
I don't know if that, again, that'll be addressed in the later half of this series. I hope they will address it to a certain degree because I, I dislike when something is just the way it is for the sake of it being that way for like the convenience of of the story right like i wouldn't say it's incredibly important that we as the viewers understand how the time travel stuff works yeah other than what they did share with us in like i think episode three or four like now so just as like a quick overview of the fact that like takamichi can travel back in time 12 years to the to that exact date and time but he cannot revisit that like once that time has passed once that once the 12 years has passed like he needs to then travel again to the the exact twelve year point, mm-hmm. even if like it's several days later. Like he can't go revisit the same day once um once it's passed. So that's fine, but like there's still a lot of other questions. Like again, like how does this all work? It's the timekeeper. Like I, yeah, <laughs> the like, timekeepers. Um, like reference. I just there's so many questions, and if we don't get an explanation. I think that's okay because mm-hmm. everything else is much more interesting and much more important in the show. But it's also like it just is too convenient not to explain it to us at some point. Yeah, because it's again, it's a very specific ability to your point. Like if uh, if Takamichi goes back to like December two thousand five in the past, and he he'll revert back to December twenty seventeen. So the same amount of time will pass um, each time he travels. Again, it's it's not something that you see commonly with any show that deals with time travel because you, you have the ability to go back to specific times or like times of your choice. But here it's it's set within this 12 year window. Yeah. And like realistically speaking, I mean, yes, saving Hina is important, but like in real life, like I would also if I were Takamichi, I'd also be freaking out about the fact that I can even time travel and want to explore that like in depth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's just me, but I, I hope that at some point they at least give us a little bit more around how that all works. Also, because it does seem like Mikey is starting to get suspicious of um, of Takamichi, as we saw after the Draken arc ended. Yeah. He kind of said, like, how did you know all this was going to happen? You knew it so well. It's almost as if, like, you had some sort of insider knowledge. And I'm excited about that. I, I, think, I, I think they're going to explore that more in the second half. Like, they, they can't drop a hint like that and not explore it Mm -hmm. but i hope through that we get more explanation on like how the fuck is like all this possible yeah i feel like it's gonna just lead to another gang conflict as we've seen here like this arc was focused on like the inner conflict with toman and then now like to go ahead a bit like uh episode 12 takamichi resolves to become the head of toman which i know will be a completely different arc in episode three, Resolve, the revised title fight begins, and Kiyomasa beats Takemichi to a pulp immediately, but our pathetic protagonist refuses to back down. He is saved in the nick of time, however, with the arrival of the Tomen Gang's Commander Sano himself, aka Mikey, and Vice Commander Draken. The pair berate Kiyomasa for the Fight Club's pathetic reputation and decide to befriend Takemichi. The next day, he has the steely balls to defend Hina's honor in front of Kappa Mikey, but the latter ends up being impressed and recruits him to the Tomen gang and establish a proper reputation. As Takemichi wonders how such a wholesome person could to- turn Tomen to evil ways, he passes by a younger Kisaki, who clearly looks a lot more suited for that task. Just to make a point that I was thinking about, like they, at least for this first half, they mentioned Kisaki a lot, as or like they've mentioned like it's important for Sano and Kisaki to have never met. But in these first 12 episodes, you really don't see him a lot. You just see pictures of him, I think. Yeah, right? I know like, he has his glasses. And I, I think the next episode, he's watching Akun kill himself. And he has like that anime 
glass scheme where <laughs> the, the glasses like flash a light but yeah you really don't see him at all yeah i'm sure we'll get more information on him in this uh the second half of the season I do want to say that Hina is the best, and I adore <laughs> how much Takemichi wants to protect and save her. I, I think, um, with, again, with a lot of things, like, it's one thing to tell us that she's great and she needs to be saved. It's another thing to show us. And, man, like, right off the bat, I mean, she just makes such a great first impression. She's just so incredibly endearing, and she's tough when she needs to be. Um, and I think that she's patient with Takemichi because he fucking cries all the time. <laughs> so <laughs> like the only person who can be patient. Yeah. With <laughs> so there's a lot to love about Hina and I get it. Like I understand why Naoto and Takemichi are so adamant about saving her. Like you want to save anybody, right? But Hina, mm-hmm. there's like that extra motivation to protect her in the future. And I, I feel that as the viewer, I feel it and I'm on board with it. Like I, I root for them to save her in the end. Yeah, because I think she obviously brings out the best qualities in Takemichi, and you see that later on when um, he has to go and save Draken. Um, the scene where you know they're both in school, and then Mikey tries to get Takemichi out of class, and like Hina kind of stands up to Mikey, and then Takemichi stands up for her in her defense. I thought it was weird that Hina was suddenly okay with Mikey. Or, like, with Takemichi suddenly being able to hang out with Mikey. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I think she knows, like, Mikey has a gang affiliation. Unless she, you know, she just brushes it off to, and sees, like, the the better qualities in Mikey. I will say the one confusing part about Hina is that, like, she tries to set Takemichi on a straight path all the time. But the one thing she never tells him is to not get involved with gangs. Yeah. Please stop being part of a gang. Please go to the police. <laughs> tell them what's going on. Do the right thing. Like, get your life straight. Don't be part of a gang. You're going to fucking die. She never, ever says that in this first half. And I'm like, Hina, come on. Like, you, you tell him everything else to set him straight, but you don't tell him this part. And it's not like she has a strong tie to the gangs either. She's only really developed these friendships through Takemichi and his affiliations. So in the beginning, I'm like, why didn't she just look at him and say, what the fuck are you doing? Get out of the gang, like you're crazy. <laughs> Unless, like, once you know, once you're in the gang, you're not, you never get out. <laughs> yeah, as we're seeing clearly, like even 12 years later, he can't get away from it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, no, yeah, Hina's very wholesome, kind of like uh, Nishimiya in a silent voice, which is kind of odd because they they both have pink hair. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they do. So, they do. I don't know if that's a, a trait for people with pink hair in anime. I also, to your earlier point about Draken and Mikey um, being the the gateway for us to understand like the the humanity in in these gangs i i immediately started to like their characters like when they introduce them yeah they're trying to introduce them as like tough guys like oh my god you know they're they're, they're guys to be feared they're the leaders of Toman, blah 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 but like very quickly they showed us that like they're pretty cool and they're pretty likable um and that's that's impressive to do all in one episode like a, a scary introduction and immediately you know change our point of view to to feel I don't know if it's like sympathy or just feel like some sort of connection to those characters. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I like them a lot. Yeah. To kind of emphasize my introductory point, um, you know, Mikey we see in this episode is imbued with, you know, a sense of honor, which is, I guess, the part of a gang or criminal organization that makes them appealing and, you know, very respectable. And it's similar to uh, Don Corleone in the, The Godfather, you know, you know, d- despite his family's like illicit activities, 
he still resorts to living by this this moral code within the within the, or, the organization and we'll continue to see again the the more positive side of the tokyo manji gang leaders um, as the series progresses in episode four return Takemichi spends some quality time with Hina, but accidentally transports himself to the present by unknowingly holding her younger brother's hand while watching a fireworks show. The pair figure out the terms and conditions of this time travel ability and learn that one of Takemichi's chums, Akun, has risen in Tomen's ranks under the new timeline. Takemichi pays his friend a visit at a hostess bar, who reveals that he was the one who pushed our crybaby, our crybaby hero onto the tracks, but that Naoto saved him as if he had some premonition about the event. He comments on how Mikey's wholesome demeanor changed after Draken's death and decides to end Hero because his situation is fucked beyond repair, upon which Takemichi resolves that Kisaki turned Tomen to shit and that he must go in the past to save not just Hina, but everyone from this antagonistic asshole. Damn, things just got a whole lot more complicated. In four episodes the stakes have been raised where it's not only Hina's life that Takemichi needs to save, um, but Akun and Draken too. Mm-hmm. Like, damn, <laughs> that's a lot. But it it kind of highlights how much you know Takemichi cares about not just Hina, but you know just his friends who have been put into these fucked up situations. And to your earlier point, like, what do you expect? You're in a fucking gang. Like, <laughs> did you think anything positive was gonna come out of that experience? Um, but with Akun, we, we kind of touched upon, you know, the, the time traveling ability. And here he seems to think that Takemichi has this, or Naruto and Takemichi have this ability to time travel. And so if you remember, he wishes him luck, Takemichi luck on saving who he can before he commits suicide. Mm-hmm. So it makes me wonder if this time travel ability is something that is apparent to not just the the, the pair uh, Takemichi and Naoto, but also to Akun as well. Yeah, it was very strange that he commented on that. Like, the, I think that it's more widely known than perhaps they're letting on. Um, maybe others have that. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the time leap, um, based on the way Naoto explains how all that works, again, Takemichi has one attempt to make a change in the past at that point in time, and that's it. So going back to this idea of like the stakes are raised. That's a lot of pressure. And like at this point in the show, I don't think Takemichi realizes how big of a deal that is. He does later in the show, but four episodes in, he's not quite grasping the gravity of that. I think once Akun kills himself at the end of the episode, like then he he gets um, he feels the pressure in that sense. But he still needs to kind of understand like this really is one single attempt. You got to get it right. And I think he, that that lands with him during the Draken arc. Because he thinks he can fix things, then he thinks he doesn't fix things, mm-hmm. and he thinks he fixes things, and he thinks he doesn't fix things. And to kind of comment on that more, like with him changing things around, not just like physically or like in terms of um, the the future, but also just in terms of his own personality. I think at some at one point when he's hanging out with um, Hina in the past. She comments that Takamichi seems more mature than before. Um, and I think it's just because, you know, Takamichi wants to, again, change the outcome of the future by changing what happens in the past. Because I guess typically he was just more, you know, rebellious and aloof. Um, 
So you, you kind of see hints of, you know, Takemichi's quote unquote pathetic personality changing. Although I think he seems to revert back to it too often in the past. And then he kind of reverts back to being pathetic, like completely when he returns to the present later on. And that's more so when he finally gets to see Hina after she, after she survives. So I thought that was just an interesting trait for Takamichi. Yeah, and I'll comment a little bit on that um, more because I have some questions around that, I think, in one of the later episodes. Um, but yeah, this episode four, I thought, was a great comedic episode. Obviously, not everything was comedic because Akun kills himself. But mm. um, while it's a pretty emotional and serious episode, there are some nice moments of comedic relief. And I think it's like the first episode that is more relaxed, again, up until the, the very end of it. Um, so we get to see how present-day Takemichi, like, is and how those past interactions affect the present and i think this is like th this was kind of that teaser that there are some pretty funny moments in the show which we'll certainly comment on i think as we progress through these episodes because there were some really funny scenes in this first half of the season yeah yeah, yeah this one was obviously when uh, takamichi grabs who he thinks is hina's hand but it's, <laughs> it's actually no, not that was great <laughs> yeah and then i love like you know it, it keeps within continuity because then he goes back to the present since he touched Naoto's hand. Yeah. <laughs> in episode five, Re-Leap, Takemichi learns from Naoto that Draken died in a gang brawl 12 years ago between his and Kappa Mikey's Tomen factions and is instructed to go back in time to prevent his death. He is transported back to an awkward situation with a half-naked girl, but reconnects with Hina as they unknowingly walk right into a Tomen gang meeting. Kappa Mikey discusses whether or not the gang should start some shit with the rival Mobius gang for messing with one of their own, and resolves to face them in an all-out brawl conveniently on the day that Draken dies. After some sleuthing, Takemichi learns that it is Draken who keeps Kappa Mikey wholesome and wonders how they could have ever turned on each other. I love that Takemichi is so stupid. Like, I, I think it's great because you've got Naoto who's incredibly smart and like well composed and is younger than Takemichi by oh, yeah. a couple of years. But Naoto has to rely on Takemichi who has no fucking clue what he's doing. But he at least, you know, eventually figures it out. Um, so again, like the, the pressure is there. And as these episodes go on, Takemichi starts to really open his eyes to this. Um, and I think... So this is the episode where Hina comments saying that he acts totally different sometimes. Like mm -hmm. in the previous episode, he she said that, oh, you're you're acting so mature lately. And then in this episode, she says like there are times that you just kind of act not mature. Like you, you have like this switch that's flipped. And so the concept of Takemichi's past self not knowing what's going on when his future self leaps into the past is kind of intriguing, right? Like. Clearly, mm -hmm. he's got a certain personality from the time he was in, in middle school. But that personality does not change unless Takemichi's future self has transported to the past. Because now it's technically the future personality embedded in the past body, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. If you're, yeah. if you're following my, my explanation here. Because so, his personality is now informed by her death. Yes. Yeah. And, and his life experiences and his, his maturity. So I'm curious to know if his past self will somehow ruin his relationship with Hina or will do something, you know, unknowingly to fuck up the future, right? Because, like, he's mm -hmm. in control when he's time traveled to the past, but he's no longer in control of what his past self does when he travels back to the future. Oh, that's an yeah, interesting thing. And you kind of see that with, again, episode 12, where it, we see the reveal that he dumped Hina 
Yes. Right. Yeah. Like exactly. That's like okay. How, why did he fucking do that and and all of that? Um. And I kind of want to see a flashback where I guess it's a flashback or maybe just some some vision from the past where we actually see the switch in personality. Like mm-hmm. in the moment that Takemichi leaps to the future, do we get to stay in the past for a brief moment and see Takemichi's? I don't know, like confusion, <laughs> like mm-hmm. when when he's in a certain situation, like or is he just conscious that like he's in this certain situation and he just continues to you know go through whatever that situation is? Um, there's like a flip switch and like his personality just does like a 180 because he's no longer his future self. It's really hard to describe this. No, yeah, it's it's kind of like you know if with him taking more like courage and bravery in the past. Um, you kind of see this in a comic, a comedic moment um, in the later episode after he saves Draken. Like he, he suddenly becomes pompous and like walks with his chest puffed out. As, like, yeah. He's an important member of the gang. Like, is that pompous personality going to carry over to the future where he, you know, he becomes, he's not, he's no longer like this pathetic person, but he has more confidence and maybe acts a little bit more brash. And that's probably not what he wanted as the outcome. He just, you know, wanted to save Hina, but it came at consequence. Like, for example, um, maybe this helps. Like, for example, he gives Hina the four-leaf clover necklace because he's like, I want to leave something behind that Hina can remember me by. Mm -hmm. Does, when he leaps to the future, does his past self remember that he gave her that necklace? Or is it like his his conscious is completely gone from the past self? You know what I mean? And then, Mm -hmm. like, he's like, when did you get that necklace? I never gave that to you. Or... You know, he treats her very kindly, and then does he just like when his when his future self leaps to the future, does his past self suddenly treat her like shit? You know what I mean? Like again, does that that switch flip? So maybe like they'll give us a concrete example of that at some point. Because I'd love to see it. I think it'd be really intriguing to see like what happens when he's really in his past self. Or he probably gets like um, maybe like split personality. Yeah, he's behind, like I need help. <laughs> Like, something's wrong with me <laughs> like what, what was that movie with like robert de niro where he had that split it was like him and dakota fanning i don't know if you remember hide and seek do you remember that movie i know of that movie i don't know if i watched it he's like a schizophrenic who had like different personalities in him but um yeah i don't know if like the eventual thing is you know like takemichi is so conflicted with like what he's supposed to be <laughs> at the end of the day that you know he just ends up in like a, an asylum or something. Yeah, because Hina's probably like, oh, you were so mature like five minutes ago. Why are you being so immature? And he's probably like, I don't know why I was mm-hmm. mature. <laughs> I don't know why I did the things I did. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's that's a that will eventually be a consequence of this time travel ability is, is not only are you messing up with time, but you're messing up with, you know, like the flow of your your inner in your being yeah and takemichi can't stay in the past very long because his body can only be i'm guessing his body can only be sustained for a certain amount of time before he'll start to starve because i oh, also like has the, him yeah. on an iv drip when he oh, when he goes back right. in the past but like he still needs to eat mm-hmm. um he's basically a vegetable when he's in when he leaps to the past right like he just he's just a body yeah and that's kind of like assassin's creed the, the whole concept of the animus and like staying in the in the past i don't i'm not gonna spoil assassin's creed for anybody but <laughs> um the only other thing i had with this episode is again hearkening back to empathizing with these uh, characters who are gang members uh when draken takes mikey to the hospital where um i think it's pachin's friend 
girlfriend is hospitalized because she got involved or like they got involved in a scuffle with Mobius. Um, the daughter's parents arrive and, you know, they kind of chastise uh, Draken and Mikey for, you know, causing a ruckus and being involved in these gang activities. And I think Mikey at one point is close to blowing up um, in the parents' faces, but it's Draken who kind of holds him back and makes him show respect to the parents because obviously they're they're distraught at the whole situation and even though they didn't directly cause anything he wants mikey to acknowledge like this is the proper way to to handle things and he says just have a heart that cares for others so where draken also carries the traits of you know the respectful gangster like don corleone but we see later on that mikey is only carrying these traits of honor because it's draken who influences him and i like that i think takamichi mentions that draken is mikey's heart and kind of compensates for what he lacks um and that's that's where the disconnect comes like with them having a falling out in the present timeline um preventing draken's death will obviously continue hopefully continue um mikey having these honorable traits in episode six, Regret, we learn more about Draken's rough childhood and his budding friendship with Kappa Mikey, which stemmed from orders from a neighborhood gang to beat up the latter. Back in the present, Takemichi and Naoto learn more about the Mobius conflict from its former president, Osanai, who says that Draken's death was an inside Tomen job and not from the brawl itself. Our crybaby hero returns to the past to try and convince Kappa Mikey to stop the fight, but gang member Pachin has too much skin in the rivalry to cancel it. Osanai and the Mobius gang conveniently show up anyways, intent on getting ready to rumble ahead of schedule. This is the point um, in the show, or at least with this Draken arc, where I started to just get really fucking confused about who was who. Because they're talking about all these people, but I don't get visuals of them, right? Because they're in the past. Mm-hmm. But they're talking about it in the future. And I'm like, who is that? Like, you're saying who now stabs who? Obviously, I know who Draken is. But like, who tries to stab Draken? And who's <laughs> causing, you know, internal conflict potentially? Like, who's this old fuck that you're talking to? Who's he supposed to be in the past? Like, it just was starting to get really difficult to remember everyone's names. And like, truthfully, I still don't remember anybody except for Takemichi, Akun, Draken, and Mikey. Yeah. Out of like the the gang members, obviously I know some of the other characters, but like if you if I had to pull names out of my ass um, for characters if you show them to me, like those are the only ones I can name at this point. And it's I think again like despite having very distinct character designs, we just have not had enough time to get to know these characters. But a lot of them have been introduced all at once in this Draken arc, and it's like it's difficult to keep them straight. Yeah, it's not as severe as, you know, my hero's growing cast of characters. Um, the ones that, like, you know, I can't recall for the life of me are the three captains that appear to back up Mikey um, in the all-out brawl later on. Um, and also, you know, to your point, I, I don't remember any of my, uh, Takemichi's friends besides Akun. Like, yeah. they appear a lot, but they're ever rarely mentioned by name, if at all. Um and yeah, again, with this jump back and forth, it's also confusing to see who's, I guess in Osanai's case, like it's clear, like he, we're shown his past counterpart, um, but sometimes you forget what their future counterpart looks like. I think part of it too is like, what importance do these characters play so far? 
So like I get that you've got like Pachin. I think he's the little fuck that started the whole Mobius um, Toman conflict. He's the one that like or he was involved. I don't know if he started it, but he um, he was involved in the sense yeah. that like he he was the catalyst to get that fight to to happen that night, right? Yeah. Um, I get that right because I I can remember his name. It took me a second to to think of it, but I can remember his name because he had a distinct role to play. He had an, an important part in the plot. But then there's that guy with the 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 like silver hair or some shit, and I might be jumping ahead a couple of episodes. But um, after Takemichi um, breaks free of like the duct tape, right when mm. he's crying to Hina and all that shit, he runs out, and then that guy with like I think he's got like silver hair, like blue in his hair. It's like a crew cut or whatever. Um, and he's on the bike, and he and Takemichi are both running together oh, yeah. to the I fight, called him, right? Like the the Cisco gang member. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like he, like I don't remember his name. And I think part of it is not only because he was just fucking introduced, but also he hasn't played an important part in the plot. Like, mm-hmm. he's an important member of Toman, I'm sure, but to the plot, he has not served a purpose. So I think that's why I'm having a hard time remembering who he even is um, for those two reasons. Again, he's so newly introduced, and then also, like, he has not played an important part yet. So I'm hoping that, again, with the story progression, that I'll start to get to know some of these characters a little bit better. But damn, with this Draken arc, they just loaded on thick with Tomon gang members. I was like, I don't know any of you fuckers. Yeah. To make a quick point, that character's name is Mitsuya. Not that it will, it'll be I easily would, remembered, yeah. but... I would never have fucking guessed that. <laughs> In episode seven, Revive... Pachin challenges Osunai to a one-on-one and gets his ass handed to him until Kappa Mikey literally steps in with a world star kick. Wait, okay, stop. Is Pachin the fat, ugly one who goes to jail? Yes. Then I'm wrong. I'm talking about, who's the guy? Oh, it's Payan. Payan. Oh, my God. Do you (laughs) see what I'm talking about? Do you see? (laughs) So Pachin's the fucker who goes to jail. Payan is the one who gets pissed that Pachin went to jail. And Payan's the one that is the catalyst between the Mobius... (laughs) And fucking Tomon fight where Draken gets stabbed. Holy shit. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's worse because they both have names that start with P. Yeah. My pop head. <laughs> um, anyway, but, continue. <laughs> yeah, so, Kappa Mikey literally steps in with a world star kick to defend one of his own. Draken announces Tomon's intent to absorb Mobius as a result of these circumstances, but Pachin pulls a wild card and stabs Osanai in the back. And everything spirals out of control as two factions loyal to either Kappa Mikey or Draken begin to form because of their differing views on Pachin's demise. The friends turned foes engage in a throwing match at the expense of Takemichi's personal trinkets, which lights a fire under his ass as he orders the Toman heads to quit fucking around. And all, you know, all that Pachin stuff aside, um, we get a little bit more comedic relief at the end of this episode with, you know, um, Draken and Mikey... <laughs> Throwing around Takamichi's stuff as they're engaging in a quarrel. It reminds me of you know, Mr. Krabs watching SpongeBob and Squidward destroy his personal belongings. Oh, yeah. It's just because, like, Takamichi, like, names each trinket and, like, what it's from. He's like, oh, that's the trophy from, like, my middle school contest. And then it gets <laughs> destroyed. Um, so that was a nice way to kind of end a very tense episode, you know, with Potch and pulling that wild card move. Yeah, I agree. I... Episode seven was great. Like really good episode. Probably one of the best that we got in this first half on both the, the comedy and drama sides of things. Like both sides hit the mark. It was a really good episode. There's other great ones out there, but this one I noted in particular. Um, with that said, 
I just want to take a, a quick moment to remind everyone after the the synopsis you just heard and after everything that we've been talking about, don't forget these are fucking middle schoolers. Okay? Yeah. Like these are supposed to be fucking middle schoolers. Like what the hell? I just think like, to me, I would have just rather them called them like late high schoolers or maybe a college students. I don't know. Or don't even tell us like what their ages are at this point because it is just incredibly hard for me to be in like it, it rips me out of the show basically every time someone says that's a middle schooler like it just pulls me right out of the show i get that immersion's broken basically and with this episode i'm like watching everything unfold i'm like this is literally not something any middle schooler group could be could be capable of of putting together maybe i'm wrong maybe it actually did happen in japan and that's why they're doing what? they're talking about this shit but i just don't believe it yeah cuz by that logic, Pachin wouldn't have gone to jail. He, if he were a high schooler, I would imagine like juvie or something. I think I think Draken confirmed he did go to juvie. He was saying, oh, "Thank he God he's only." I, oh, I'm pretty sure yeah, I could be yeah. wrong. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. there's a part where Dra- where Draken says, "Like, thank God he's so young because he's in juvie and he'll get out faster or something like that." So, or he'll okay. get out in like a year or something like that. Okay, so I guess that was still consistent, but. Yeah, this is a high schooler stabbing technically another high schooler. Wait, so Pachin's in high school? That's what I thought. I thought everyone is in middle school. I thought all of these oh. fuckers are in middle school. <laughs> these little shits running around on their motorcycles, stabbing each other and having yeah, fist fights in parking lots. And like, where are the police? Where the fuck are the police? <laughs> Maybe this is... Where are the parents? <laughs> yeah, where are the parents in any of these shows? I mean, like, I get like Draken's situation. Like, yeah, I get why he maybe went down a wrong path. But like, mm-hmm. why the fuck is Takemichi in a gang, right? Like, this little shit has probably like a decent home life. You know, maybe these anime are just reflective of the times. Maybe this is how Japanese middle schoolers go about their day. <laughs> in episode eight, Recharge... After his outburst, Takemichi emphasizes how much Mikey and Draken's feud is tearing the gang apart. But the pair easily make up by laughing at a turd in his hair. As tensions begin to ease, Takemichi accompanies Hina to a festival on the date of Draken's death. Their date gets cut short as Takemichi receives intel about some anti-Draken faction remnants out for the vice commander's blood. That remnant turns out to be Kiyomasa, who restrains Takemichi from interfering until Hina rescues him with a kiss that would make Sam Raimi's Spider-Man proud. As with most things in this show, Takemichi resolves to save his Viking ponytailed pal, who has found himself in a sticky situation with Payon, Pachin's ride-or-die intent on revenge. So they res- they made up just because they found a turd in Takemichi's hair. Oh my god, best scene of the entire show so far. Probably best scene that we'll get in the entire show oh my god. is the poop in Takemichi's yeah, hair. Yeah, because you love your toilet humor. I love toilet humor so much. Yes, I do. I, I, I have no shame about it. Like, why there was a turd in the garbage area and how it got in his hair, I don't know. But what's important is that it's there. And in the end, it saves Mikey and Draken's friendship. A piece of poo <laughs> saves their friendship. Like, this is beautiful writing in my eyes. Unreal. <laughs> but yes, uh, moving on to more important things, I guess. <laughs> Hina is great. She's best girl. Love the Spider-Man kiss and the sweet moment that her and Takemichi have. Um, but the entire time I was like, shouldn't you untie him now? Like, he's getting, yeah. he's getting pelted in the <laughs> face with rain, which I'm sure feels somewhat like waterboarding because he can't quite breathe or open his eyes without, like, raindrops in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And he's tied up after getting beat to shit. 
And I'm like, this is really sweet and all, but like, if I were talking to Michi, I'd be like, can you stop for a second and just untie me? Like, great conversation. Let's keep it going. But can you just untie me first? Yeah. <laughs> that was, you know, again, lingering in the back of my head as as she's, as she's like building up his self-confidence, which was nice because I feel like, you know, Takemichi just falls into that trope of the self-deprecating shonen protagonist too often. And I know it's because, like, they call him, I think Akun's the one who ter- coins the term crybaby, crybaby hero for him. So it's just something that you just have to accept with Takemichi, but... He's in the crybaby um, shonen protagonist club, yeah. along with Tanjiro from Demon Slayer and Midoriya, Midoriya from My Hero Academia. And I'm sure there's more that we could name, but those are the big ones right mm-hmm. now. And, you know, I, I really don't like that trope, but again, I I understand... Like it's all for yeah, because they're young. Like they're mm-hmm. they're not like adults, right? Like they're emotional kids. That's that's something we just always have to remember. Um, but yeah, sometimes it does get a little old. Yeah, the last thing I want to point out is during the festival, Takemichi wears a shirt that says "Love and Peace." A nice. I don't know if it was intended, but it's a nice reference to Trigun, which is a classic anime that I come to know and love because of this podcast yeah i I think that that shows up in other anime but i also like to think that that's an homage to vash the stampede yeah love and peace there is another trope though i do want to call out um takemichi celebrated prematurely and then on august 3rd the shit still goes down with dragon he's still in danger he was like celebrating like oh i think i ended it like there's no there's not gonna be an issue on august 3rd and then you know that just means that actually something is going to happen. That's an anime like, trope, uh, right? That Tyler, the creator uh, meme. So that was a fucking lie. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> it was just so, like, it was laid on very thick when he was saying, like, I did it. Like, now mm-hmm. Draken's safe. Like, you know, nothing's ba- nothing bad's going to happen. Like, you're basically just screaming at us that, yes, something bad is going yeah, to happen. Yeah, that, that always carries that ominous feeling. And then the opposite happens, like, a couple episodes later in this arc where... He's like, oh, my God, Draken, like, I didn't save him. I couldn't do it. I suck. Oh, my God, I'm the worst. It's all my fault. And then he's he's fine. Like, I don't know. They they do this multiple times in this arc, and it's a little irritating. Yeah. Um, and, like, it kind of ruins the suspense because he lays it on so thick, or the writers lay it on so thick that you as the viewer can just immediately call what's going to happen. There, it loses the element of surprise. In episode nine, Revolt, after a waste of an intro with a recap of the previous episode's events, Draken prepares to throw hands with Peon and his Mobius chums as Takamichi and associate Mitsuya arrive on the scene in a parking lot. Kappa Mikey arrives moments later to put a halt to the fighting and learns that Mobius' interim commander, Hanma, was responsible for orchestrating the inner conflict. But before Mobius can exact their revenge, Kappa Mikey's Tomen loyalists arrive even more moments later to defend their leader. As Takemichi struggles to find Draken in the ruckus, he realizes that Kiyomasa has already stabbed the vice commander as he lies in a heap of Draken blood stew. So don't get me wrong, I fucking love Draken, and honestly, he's probably my favorite character in the show. But at this point, to me, the Draken arc was starting to feel a bit long. Like, mm. I, I even wrote here in my notes, episode nine, hopefully we get a conclusion to this dragon arc in the nep- next episode because it's feeling a bit long. That's literally what I wrote. Um, and, and it, it does, I think. Oh, no, it doesn't. Oh, it doesn't. It ends in episode 11. 
technically. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, technically, it ends in episode 11. So you're talking, if I'm counting backwards, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight episodes for this Draken arc because technically Draken's death and the the decision to save Draken starts in episode four when Naoto mm-hmm. mentions that like he dies and like if we can save Draken then we can avoid xyz so i mean te- you could probably argue that it, it actually starts an episode or two later but we're talking possibly episode four all the way to episode 11 is dedicated to the dragon arc and it's important it's a huge part of the show but i don't know something about it just felt like it kept dragging on and i think it was because they kept giving us false hope about stuff again in the previous episode Takamichi is like, oh, I did it. I saved everything. False hope. And then more yeah. shit goes down. And then, oh, shit, he's 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 in danger now. False hope. He's fine in the end or whatever. So I think that just kind of made it feel longer than probably they intended. Yeah, it does make it seem like they just want to drag out this conflict just to kind of encompass this first core um, of the of the anime. And part of me too, um, by episode nine, I kind of realized that Draken wasn't gonna die. Um, one because like it's important for Takemichi to have him around for his development, his character development. But mostly because in the OP, we see Draken in his black Toman jacket, and we have mm-hmm. not seen him wear that yet, even in this first half of the show. So like many anime OPs, it spoils the shit out of the show for you if you pay too much attention to the visuals. Um, in this case, I did make that connection, you know, much to my demise, not my demise, much to my disappointment um, that Draken was in that black Toman jacket, but we didn't actually see that happen yet. So I was like, oh, shit, he 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 lives. And I mean, oh, shit, isn't <laughs> like I didn't want to predict that. I wanted to be surprised. But like I was happy, of course, that he he lived in the end because he's the best. Except for Jujutsu Kaisen, that OP was kind of a lie. I'm not going to spoil it. Oh, what, yeah. But... That was the biggest lie of an anime of this year, yeah. for sure. <laughs> or ne- last year, I guess, technically. Um, yes, that there was, yeah, there was a lie in there, which is fine. I like that. You know, throw us for a loop. Um, I also made note because I don't know if the, the jacket gets introduced in this episode or was the next it's, episode. Um, in two episodes, episode oh, okay. 11. Well, I don't know. I wrote this down for episode nine, but I was like, get ready for all the Tokyo Revengers cosplayers this oh, year. Oh, yeah. Because anime cons are opening back up, um, and we're actually going to one next weekend, yeah. which is fucking awesome. And we'll report back on how many Tokyo Revenger cosplayers there are, <laughs> how many Drakens and Mikeys are running around. <laughs> I feel like there's going to be a lot of catch-up cosplays, too. For yeah, some a lot of, of Attack on Titan, that, yeah. I think, for sure. Which um, I will be going as. <laughs> yeah, a lot of Jujutsu Kaisen, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think there is going to be a lot of catch-up stuff. You're right. Anyway, we'll, we'll uh, maybe we'll chat about that in our part two episode. You know, what, what kind of Tokyo Revenger cosplayers we saw. Mm-hmm. Couple more things I wanted to note with this episode. Um, we're introduced to Hanma, who is again the temporary, the temporary <laughs> commander of um, Mobius. He's the guy with the blonde streak. The blonde streak in with his the hair. With ta- the tattoos on his hands. Yeah, so okay. he has um, like sin on his left tattoo, punishment on his right, which is not very important. I guess you know it's your typical gang tattoos. That's but, a cool, another cool character design. I like yeah. this design a lot. And I think it, it's it kind of contradicts, you know, Mikey's love and peace T-shirt. So uh, nice juxtaposition there. And as I alluded to earlier, the Tolman gangling, gang members that show up on bikes to back up their mans in their black jackets, 
Daisuke Ono, is that you? Hell yeah. As soon as he opened his mouth, I was like, oh shit, it's Jotaro. <laughs> I was expecting an aura at some point. but <laughs> Maybe we'll get one still. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're introduced to those three very eccentric captains of Tokyo Manji. I don't fucking remember their names. <laughs> so I don't remember how many captains there are. Like, I'm, yeah, oh I my wrote God. three in my notes, so I am confident there was three. I know one of them had blue hair. I don't know what... I forgot what Daisuke Ono's character looked like. But it it kind of just reminds me of you know, the the sub bosses you see in like Metal Gear Solid or I guess you know Bowser's extended family in Super Mario. I just remember the guy with the pink afro. He was like the one who see, I don't um, even remember that. He was the one that was like <laughs> smiling while he was beating everyone up. Like he was enjoying oh, the yeah. fight. Um, I don't know what you call that. Like not like a sadist. Maybe it's a sadist. Yeah, it's I don't a know. sadist. Um, but I was like, okay, I don't know who this fucker is, but I I like him. I want to see more of him. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I guess whoever the third character was that Daisuke Ono voiced, that's the one whose whose character design I I honestly don't remember. Maybe it's because did he have like a black ponytail? Uh, no, know? the long the the guy with the long black hair is not Daisuke Ono's character. I'm oh, so sure. then is it the Afro guy? No, no. <laughs> but then no, that just that Afro it... guy so tiny, his voice wouldn't fit. I think it's like the, the bald the... guy. Oh, so there's four captains. There's four, yeah. There's oh, four there's, dudes. Okay, I, think. I don't. I wrote guys. Three. We're struggling so hard to remember these characters. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll see more of them in the second half, just to get more familiar. But yeah. like, I could just pull up Mal, right? But like, I feel like I shouldn't have to. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this was basically just their cameo, and like I said, hopefully we'll see them more in the second half. Um, oh my god, okay, I did just pull up Mal really quick, and Mal will, um, when voice actors are announced for certain characters, they'll show, like, a picture of the voice actor with their name and stuff. Like, even in just this first page of characters, there's already two more supporting characters that have not been introduced because they don't have voice actors tied to them yet. So, I'm like, there are more characters on the way. I don't know how we're going to keep everyone straight, but there are more characters on the way, guys. Yeah, I'm going to have to come up with more of these stupid names for these characters just so I can I can remember who they are. <laughs> Last thing about this episode I wanted to point out, that nice epic shot of Toman versus mobius it's funny because my notes say woman versus mobius oh. but i think it's because my notes autocorrected toman to woman um, <laughs> so it's not a woman versus mobius but you know the shot of the you know, it's mikey at the forefront like about to kick and i think it's hanma on the other side and it's kind of like that avengers endgame shot it's like a war like a legit war yeah, going down. War. and i'm pretty sure that was adapted from the manga so we got to see that scene now in action in anime form. Nice. In episode 10, Re-Rise, going along even more with this re-theme, this episode repeats the intro with a recap of last episode until we see Takemichi inform Kappa Mikey of Draken's fatal demise as he, Hina, and that half-naked girl Emma tried to secure an ambulance for the vice commander. Kiyomasa and his chums catch up to them, but Takemichi decides not to pussy out and faces his former master in a one-sided one-on-one until our crybaby hero uses up all his protagonist strength to choke Kiyomasa unconscious. Akun and the rest of Takemichi's friends arrive to fend off the last of Kiyomasa's cronies as as pathetically as they can while an ambulance arrives to secure Takemichi's quote-unquote win in saving Draken. I think um, the, the most sorry, 
I just want to get this out of the way. The most annoying parts of these two episodes were just little recaps in the beginning. Like, why did we need those? We know what happened. Just cut straight to the point. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to the titles really quick because I do want to call this out. This, I feel like, is where titles are starting to get a little weird. Like, I, I think that we're starting to, to run out of re-words because re-rise is not a word, according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, um, as well as re-leap, which I think is an uh, earlier episode. Yeah. But I get why they use it um, because he's leaping, you know, back and forth in time. So um, I'm just wondering how many re-words they're going to have before mm -hmm. they really start to get creative. <laughs> Was there one like relapse? Yeah. <laughs> So we'll, record we'll <laughs> record it doesn't yeah. even it's not even a re thing I, I i like it though i love the attempt here to just be themed with revengers um but i i don't think they're native english speakers that are coming up with these mm. titles so i think we're gonna be uh, a little creative here like recrawl <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this episode flew by and um i f i thought this was the conclusion of the dragon arc it wasn't it's next episode so again that's why it feels long um i did enjoy that the roles were reversed here between takemichi and hina where takemichi is the brave one and hina is the one crying and a bit more worried um but i do have to call out something that is starting to get a little bit draining on me and that's takemichi's resolve and like his mm -hmm. his like determination to be better so i appreciate that like i appreciate his resolve i appreciate his inner monologue to stop running away and use his second chance at life to become something better but at this point it's starting to feel like beating a dead horse he keeps exclaiming these things every time there's a conflict not a big conflict either even just like when small frustrating things come up and at some point he just needs to make it happen like stop thinking that you're gonna do it or stop saying that you're gonna do it and just do it just be a fucking man and he does I'll give him that much. Like he does, you know, when he gets stabbed in the hand and like, you know, defends Draken and all this stuff while they're waiting for the ambulance to come through. But then like in the next episode or maybe the episode after episode 12, he's like sulking that like Hina might have another boyfriend, even yeah. though she doesn't have a boyfriend, like chill, dude. Um, So he keeps saying he's going to do it. He'll do it for a brief moment and then he reverts back. Is there an episode that call, that's called Revert? Because there needs to be an episode <laughs> called Revert. <laughs> no, maybe it's the last episode. Yeah, he just reverts back and he's just sulky again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they push it a lot in this episode about him finally, you know, manning the fuck up after everything that Hina told him. I think what clicks is that Hina says that Takamichi shouldn't focus so much on getting to Mikey's level. He should just focus on being Takamichi, which is, you know, standing up for his friends and fighting for them and you see the lengths to which he expresses that by him again choking kiyomasa unconscious and i call it like takemichi's you say run moment because there is a point in this episode where you hear it almost sounds like a bootleg you say run that plays when he finally gets this epiphany um and he, he says the line which it's almost like it brings this the series' title full circle. I'm finally going to get revenge on my life. <laughs> Which is a very sounds like a very cheesy action film quote. Um but yeah, we get all of this here and, and it feels like it, it's concluding the series because you know Takemichi has finally gotten this character development. But to your point in episode eleven or twelve, he just goes back to 
being the shitty, pathetic guy that he is. And that's what's annoying, right? Like, I'm not saying that he needs to do this 180 and suddenly be this, like, great character who is fully capable and confident. That's not what I expect at all. I, I want him to continue to feel like Takemichi, you know, still have some doubts about himself, still be a crybaby, blah, blah, blah. But I would like to see some progression in his character development. I mm-hmm. don't want to get somewhere and then take, like, two steps back. Like, he takes one step forward and two steps back, basically. Yeah. Um, and, and I just think that that ends up being tiring after a while. I guess the only physical reminder of him like reaching this point is the scar that he gets um, in his hand because he pulls out the knife that Kiyomasa stabs him with, right? Yeah, but that reminder's there, and yet he still continues no, yeah. to kill it, a bit. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, do you remember when this knife fucking went through your palm, and now you're <laughs> just resorting to being a crybaby cry again? And this is the, the episode where... Akun coins the term crybaby hero for... And isn't that the name of the fucking OP? Yeah, it's crybaby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it all it all connects. That's fine. He, mm-hmm. he can be a crybaby. I don't care. I just want him to be a crybaby who also like starts to progress a bit. Yeah. In episode 11, respect. <laughs> like another reword that's not a, a re-thing. But anyways, you might want to consider that quote-unquote win for a second Takemichi. For Dragon's fate still hangs in the balance as he suffers a heart attack on the way to the hospital. Kappa Mikey wraps up his fight with Hanma and learns of a new gang called Valhalla before making his way to the hospital with the confidence that Draken will pull through, and pull through he does. As Takamichi walks on airs having fulfilled his mission, Draken presents him with Kappa Mikey's first gang jacket in return for saving the Tomen gang. Takamichi visits Hina one more time before returning to the present and gifts her with a four-leaf clover necklace. We learn that Kisaki is no longer Tomen's number two, since Draken is still alive, that Akun decided to become a hairstylist instead of an hero, and that Hina is now alive and well. All is on the up and up for now. Great ending to the Draken arc. Honestly, I'd be so upset if he died. He's my favorite character, as I mentioned. Um, so I was glad that as cheesy as it was, he he survived in the end. He's just awesome. Mm-hmm. And seeing Mikey cry over Draken was incredibly heartwarming. Like Mikey always has to kind of keep his cool because everyone looks to him for leadership, but he looks to Draken for support and his support was almost taken away. And he's carrying so much weight on his shoulders, which is why Takemichi said that Mikey's jacket looks heavy. Like it has a lot of weight associated with it and that he hopes, you know, in the future he'll be strong enough to carry that weight. Um this is also when we get Mikey's kind of intuition moment. He knows that something's up with Takemichi. And as I mentioned before, I'm incredibly intrigued at the idea of Takemichi revealing to certain people that he's from the future or has the ability to time travel. Um, and I hope, you know, if he does reveal to anyone that it's Mikey because I think he'd be someone that he could trust with that information, right? Well, the thing there is that with episode 12, when Takemichi resolves to become the head of Toman, I don't know if that's going to put him at odds with Mikey. Oh, shit, that's right. Yeah. Yes, you <laughs> bring no, up a very good point. But no, yeah, it, it's an interesting concept with you know, that scene from the rooftop is like, it was Mikey's intuition about Takemichi's being like this person who has this unique premonition. Is, is that going to come up again? And if these characters in the past become aware of it, will those characters of the past become self-aware of like their influence on future outcomes? Um, to go back to that scene with 
Mikey, you know, collapsing in that corner and crying for a dragon. I that was a that was my favorite scene um, out of out of this episode. To your earlier points, um, it, it humanizes uh, Mikey, and it shows you like even you know the best fall down sometimes, and it's hard for someone at his leadership level to constantly keep a strong facade. Um, and so it's in this point, or in this case, it's Mikey, like Mikey's a strong character, but you can see here, like he, in certain cases, it's him being strong just for appearances. And it's because he has this duty as a leader, which to kind of tie into Takamichi's character development, it's something that Takamichi might want to learn if he actually wants to take more initiative in his life. And again, if he wants to become the head of Toman. I think, though, the only, um, I wouldn't call it a downside, but the only thing that I reflect on seeing how impacted Mikey was with Draken's almost death um, and going back to the poop episode, um, how quickly and how easily they were able to get over their argument, it makes, it kind of downplays what Naoto shared earlier on that, you know, there's a rift between Mikey and Draken, which is why shit goes down in Toman, like, in the future, right? Like, everything kind of, happens the way it does because Mikey and Draken split at some point. Um, and obviously that's one of Takamichi's uh, missions is to make sure that doesn't happen. So it almost makes that a little less believable because you're like, look at how close they are. Even when they do fight, like look at how close they are. Like mm -hmm. there's just no way that this would have ever really happened. Or is there another future event past this point where they do split and, you know, it just, it's Takamichi having to find another way to prevent that from happening yeah yeah and also like another thing um going back to like talking okay so this, i'm jumping ahead of episode 12 i just want to say it's really quick because i just thought of it um for episode 12 when takimichi says i'm going to become the head of tolman and like that's how he's going to stop everything right and like um save everyone's lives why doesn't he just go to the police <laughs> and like give them all the information on what's happening in these <laughs> gangs so that they can take down these gangs in the past so that they don't kill everyone in the future? <laughs> I don't understand. Like, why is this not an option on the table? <laughs> because that wouldn't make for a great story. <laughs> that's Actually, fair. I think that, that's kind of the ending of Goodfellas. Um, not to spoil that, but that was based on a, a true story. Where like a mafia guy just goes in and turns his friends in. Just whistleblow the whole thing, <laughs> yeah. right? Like whistleblow it sky high. Like you fucking, you know that Nalto becomes an officer. Just mm -hmm. give Nalto all the information. Isn't his dad a police officer? Yeah. Yeah. Just and give so he fucking, falls in his footsteps. Give area. fucking Nalto and Hina all the information that they want. If you don't want to do it like yourself, or just file a complaint anonymously. I don't know. Yeah. Like clearly he's a stupid middle schooler because he didn't think to do this. <laughs> yeah, that's that's also true. Anyway, going back to episode 11, though, we do finally see the four-leaf clover necklace, which is really sweet um, and kind of foreshadowing that uh, Takamichi was like, I want to leave, you know, something behind for Hina to remember me. It's like, dude, you still exist in the past. It's not like you're going to, like, disappear. But I get what he's trying to say. Um, and then I loved the kind of conclusion to this episode where past Naoto finds it odd that Takamichi wants a handshake and it's like you sure like handshakes huh I was like that's great <laughs> that's just a wonderful moment <laughs> the last thing I want to point out um with episode 11 is the the gang jacket um I think the translated subtitles point out that the embroidery spell or says center of the universe which makes sense that it's Mikey's jacket because he is the leader of Toman. But I think it's also symbolic in Takamichi's case because it is 
Takemichi himself, who is this sort of glue that holds Toman together. And to go with that theme of the universe, it's sort of like him being the central point that all these planets gather around, kind of like the sun. So very fitting for Draken to present him with this jacket. Again, to, to symbolize your earlier point, the weight that Mikey feels um, being a leader, but also to symbolize how much Takemichi has contributed to the gang so far. Honestly, the jackets look really fucking cool. The whole like Toman outfit, like the, the black pants with the black jacket and the white boots is really fucking cool looking. Again, more props to the character designs. And honestly, it almost makes me want to cosplay as a Toman gang member because the, the mm-hmm. outfit's just, it's awesome. It looks really, really cool. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be merchandise pretty soon of these leather jackets um, with the, the gang embroidery on them. And in the final episode for the first half, episode 12, Revenge, Naoto calls Takemichi in the present timeline to commend him for preventing Draken's death and asks if he would like to accompany him in visiting Hina. Takemichi gets wet feet after remembering how she had dumped him but stumbles upon her outside her apartment complex. Naoto leaves the pair for a police assignment as awkward, subdued romance ensues until Hina opens up to Takamichi about her feelings, revealing that it was actually he who dumped her in this timeline. He runs to a public bathroom in embarrassment and stumbles across an older Hanma who implies that Takamichi should have been targeted in a hit that night. Realizing that shit is about to go down, he runs to find Hina in Naoto's car as she is rammed from the back by Akun and not in a dirty way, who was under orders from Tomin to kill Takemichi. As the love of his life and his childhood friend once again meet unfortunate fates, Takemichi once again resolves to fix this fuck up by becoming the leader of the Tomin gang himself. Holy shit, this episode was great. This was the other... so. I mentioned earlier that episode seven was like really good. This is the other episode in this first half that was just really, really good um, for so many reasons. I mean, just the the awkwardness and the, the the comedy we got in the beginning with Naoto and Takamichi and Hina's like, you know, rekindling of their relationship to like the huge bomb that's dropped on us that he's actually the one that dumped her mm-hmm. and that she still loves him. That's why she wears the necklace. And then like that fucking scene with the cars was brutal and like not only with Akum, but like even more brutal with Hina because because you see it right yeah, there. you see it it's... you can't do like he can't do anything about it and like he literally knows she's gonna like burst into flames or blow up and there's nothing he can do like the fact that she's conscious is really kind of eerie um because like it's just she's just you know living out her last moments and mm-hmm. she knows it he knows it and when he like embraces her and says like he's always loved her I was like, this is the, the character development I'm waiting for. This is like the progression of his character development, him to actually just come out and fucking say it. Obviously, yeah. it's, in an, it's in an intense episode where it's the last moment he has to say it to her in this timeline. But like, this is what I was waiting for. Mm-hmm. He could have said it to her like hours ago. <laughs> yeah, I love, I forget like what the word, word for word quote was, but it was just, it's something that, you know, that sticks out for like a lot of the hopeless romantics out there. He's like, whether in the past or the present or the future, I will love you forever. It was like, oh, like now you finally open up to this girl. Yeah, it's like, goddamn. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, why is it always in these very life-threatening situations <laughs> that you could finally get the courage to do these things? Yeah, this was just, the whole episode was incredibly well-written. Um, I do want to call it a couple of things. Um, I do feel like 
okay so first off the the moment when takamichi steps out of the bathroom and he gets um that quick comment from again i can't fucking remember his name hanma hanma um my stomach sank i was like oh no way because you'd figure he would target naoto um Mm -hmm. and takamichi but here it's like he knows that hina's in the car so it's like they're also targeting her and that just is, a, is really fucked oh, up. Oh, because, yeah, he says there's supposed to be the two of you. Yeah, because mm-hmm. there's supposed to be two of you in the car or whatever. And I think you pointed out that, like, during the driving scene, you can actually see Auckland's car kind of following them in the distance. Yeah, so Auckland's driving this, it's almost like a black Hummer, and you see it in certain driving scenes. I remember, I think there was one point when Hina parks the car um, in the corner of the screen, you see the black Hummer driving by as if it's scoping out the situation. Oh, so creepy. Yeah. And the fact that it's Akun, like that was that was crazy because you literally got that moment and I think it was the beginning of the episode where, mm-hmm. and, and the previous episode too, where he's like, uh, Takibichi's crying saying, oh my God, you opened a salon. He's like, yeah, dude, you fucking knew this already. Like yeah. you said, you're going to be my first customer, blah, blah, blah. And you think everything's all good. And I mean, they they really got us to let our guard down as viewers um, and think that at least some things went the right way. And here it's like, nope, everything is still fucked. And it's everything. all because this is still a gang. Like Tokyo Manji is still a gang. I'm yeah. sure the hairstylist salon is a front for this gang. So it's not yeah. like Alcun's completely out of the clear. Um, and I thought it was just so interesting that Hina and Alcun still meet this morbid fate despite the new timeline. It's... I don't know. It's kind of, again, like those interactive video games where no matter what you do, like something is going to happen to certain characters. Yeah, because you, you think the whole time, like, these are the missions that Naoto gives Takamichi. These are the things that need to be changed in order to fix the future. And they were completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Completely wrong. Like, not only Takamichi, but smart fucker Naoto was also wrong, who, by the way, is, like, just growing on me as a character. I think he's great. Like, in this this whole episode... Um, with him just trying to like be patient with Takamichi and Hina and like he's the youngest in the room but he's the most mature he's starting to grow on me but I will say I have this odd like sinking suspicion that Naoto's gonna turn traitor or something there is something not quite right here and I really hope I'm wrong because his character is just becoming like super interesting to me and I'm really liking him so I don't know but yeah it's because he is basically the catalyst for the entire series. So he has to be... There's something where he, it has to be that he's involved with the way the, these things are proceeding in some way. Like, either Naoto's going to turn traitor or he's not going to die, but, like, he's going to be in a life-threatening situation. He's the only one that's gotten scotch free out of everything, yet he's the police officer who mm-hmm. should be investigating everything. Um, I don't yeah, know. Is he in ties with Tokyo Manji too? God, I hope not. <laughs> oh my God. Like I just, I really like Naoto and like how devastating would that be for Hina? Like even if she survives and ends up with Takamichi in the end, knowing that her brother turned traitor, that's gotta be rough and mm-hmm. we gotta protect Hina at all costs. <laughs> um, a couple more points with this episode. This may have popped up earlier, but the OP now shows Takamichi's scar on his hand from his last fight with Kiyomasa. Yeah, it's very quick, but you can notice it. Mm-hmm. And going back to the thing with Hanma, um, you know, it's nice that Hanma points out was like uh, points out that there was an intended hit on Takamichi. Why doesn't he just kill him on the spot? Yeah, good question. He maybe didn't have a knife on him. Yeah, he just walks away. Well, he was carrying like a suitcase, wasn't he? Or he was carrying something. Uh, I don't remember. Unless like he's like under direct orders not to to kill him directly or whatever. Just choke him out in the yeah. bathroom. 
but who knows? And so let's recap with our final thoughts for Tokyo Revengers Part 1. What did you think overall about this first half, and what are you excited to see with the second core or second half? Um, so I would say the first half has been great. Um, even though they didn't waste any time kind of throwing us into this story, I still felt like the first couple episodes didn't quite hook me in. Like I was interested enough to watch, but I wasn't hooked yet. But then I would say probably by like episode five or six, I really did get hooked. Um, and I started to appreciate the show for the story that they're trying to, to, you know, lay out for us. And I'm, I'm all in, I want to see the rest of it. I I'm, very much invested in where this um, where the story and these characters are headed. I would say for the second half of the season, um, all I know is that because as you mentioned, like they they briefly drop like the Valhalla gang name, mm-hmm. and I saw on Twitter that the manga readers were saying like, oh, you know, you anime only people have no clue what's coming. Like you thought this first half was crazy. Just wait till the Valhalla arc starts. I feel like manga readers always say yeah. that. <laughs> they do. They do always say that. Um, but they're also very honest when like the show's going to go downhill because the manga sucks, as we saw with. Well, you know, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it because spoilers. <laughs> I, I think everyone knows what we're going to what we're alluding to. Um, but anyway, so I'm super excited. Like this, just based on the hype that they've dropped, the very non spoilery hype. Um, sounds like the Valhalla arc is going to be hype. No, the non-spoilery. Oh, I, I know. I kind of blended my re, words. The re thing again. <laughs> non-spoilery hype. Um, it sounds like the Valhalla arc is going to be pretty intense, and the show has already been very, very intense. So I'm excited for that. I really hope we get more, at least a little more explanation of what's going on with this whole time travel ability. Um, and I want to get some resolution on like, is my suspicion around Naoto founded like is that going to be an actual thing in the story or am i just reading too much into you know his character i really hope he doesn't turn traitor i really really hope so it's the person you least suspect or most (laughs) medium suspect (laughs) most medium (laughs) suspect yeah um so yeah those are the things i'm I'm most excited to see in in the next half um oh that that and like what actually happens with hina I want to know. If, if, oh, she dies <laughs> again and again and again and again. Again and again. I know. I, I don't know. Maybe they will just wrap up the show after the, the second half. Maybe we'll get a second season. Either way, I just can't wait to see, like, does he save her in the end? What about you? Yeah, I like the the show in this first half. It Now that it's concluded, it doesn't stop at a standstill. Now that the mission to save Dragon was successful, it kind of opens up a new issue for Takamichi to face based on his actions and how he changes the past, sort of like this this butterfly effect. And, you know, as these new newer timelines are presented, will this, you know, continually force Hina or Akun or these other characters to other kinds of morbid fates? As if like are they always predetermined to die no matter what happens. So it'll be interesting to see if the show addresses that at any point. Um and with Takemichi's quest to now become the head of the Toman gang, will this sort of begin to compromise his relationship with Naoto regarding you know his increased presence and I guess ranking within the gang? Because it, it on, on the other hand, it's it's still hard to picture Takemichi as a gang leader given his crybaby hero status. But we can, as time and again we've seen, we've seen him 
start to develop more of this courageous and brave personality no matter how much he reverts back to being pathetic uh, a little I think Takamichi suffers from that shonen protagonist trope of always doubting himself and his abilities I still can't help but root for him just because of how much he cares for Hina for Draken, for Mikey and the lengths to which he tries to influence the past to save them although you know, it's mostly at the expense of his own body so going into the second half, it'll be interesting to see if this constant manipulation of time ends up biting Takamichi and Naoto on the back with every new iteration of the present. And I think we've discussed this already, like, is the series ever going to explore how the pair acquired this ability, or is that just more of a non-starter, since the story seems to be mo focused more on the emotional plot rather than this, I guess, lore plot. And I don't know, is the solution just to get rid of Toman altogether? Kind of like. Yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> kind of like Ultron's <laughs> argument in um, Avengers, not Revengers, Age of Ultron, where, you know, the biggest threat to humanity was humanity himself. It's like, here is, in order to stop Toman, do you just have to get rid of Toman? Yes, the answer is yes. Please, <laughs> someone go to the police already and, like, yeah. blow the lid on this whole thing. Because mm -hmm. I, I am very certain that. Takemichi becoming the head of the Toman gang as much of a positive outcome that he thinks it's going to be is going to come with dire consequences because like why would Hina want to stay with someone who is the leader of a gang well Hina wants to stay with somebody who's in a gang so that that's the first step right <laughs> <laughs> that's the first step down the drain <laughs> mm -hmm. so yeah we'll see what um what comes of the last half of this season of the show i don't know we're very much in the dark again as to how many episodes total there are and if this is going to be if the entire story will be contained in just this one season or if it'll have a second season because the manga is still ongoing i don't know but when you join us for our second half review hopefully we have some answers by then yeah i can't wait to see what remains <laughs> wow and that wraps up episode 41 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on the anime we review. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Here in Tokyo Revengers, you've got apparent middle schoolers who look like they're fucking grown men. Like, they've got ball on the ball on their chin <laughs> I was gonna say hair on their ball sacks <laughs> oh. <laughs> hang on let me record that what did I say <laughs> ball in a cup <laughs>